You're listening to teaching from Castle Hills Christian Church in San Antonio, Texas. More information about Castle Hills Christian Church is available at chccsa.com. Perspective matters. You're going to see a picture up on screen, and I want you to tell me what you see. Just, it's okay to talk in church, so just kind of holler out. What do you see? You see a duck. Some of you see a duck. And some of you see a rabbit. Some of you see both. How many people just see a duck? How many of you see a rabbit? How many of you see both? A lot of you see both. Let's look at the next picture. What do you see in this picture? Two faces, a goblet. How many people see two faces? How many people see a goblet? How many of you see both? Let's look at the next picture. What color do you see of the shoe? Some of you see pink. What's the other color? Gray or some people see gray and white. Silver. Anybody else? Any other colors? Some people see teal. And so who, see, who saw teal? I saw teal <laughs> for the longest time when I saw this picture. And so there's been a great debate in my family. I'll just kind of let you into the Morgan family. Most of our family sees teal. One person, the most important person in our family, sees pink. Uh, that, that was Julie, just in case you didn't know that. And, and, and so we, we, we've had this debate of what you see. And so eventually, after lo- looking at it several different times, I eventually did see, see pink. But the majority of the time, I do see teal. Perspective matters. We see things in different ways than what other people see things. Before I was married, I saw things a certain way. I had strong convictions about certain things, and then my wife came into my family, and and wow, she had a different perspective on a lot of things. She she thought some of the clothes that I wore, that that they needed to be updated. (laughs) She thought that the sheets that we had needed to be washed much more often than what I did as a bachelor. (laughs) She had a perspective on how the dishes should go in the dishwasher. Some of you, you understand that. And so I began to see life in a whole different way. She helped me realize there was a different genre in movies besides action and sports movies. I didn't realize there was such a thing. She's enlightened me. Not that I enjoy those, but... but At least I know they're out there. And then I had kids. And they've enlightened me on all kinds of different things. On music. They think country music's from Satan. Some of you agree with them. That flushing is optional. They've let me know that. That as they become teenage boys, that axle spray is a necessity in life. 
If you've ever worked with teenagers, you smell Axo spray all the time. Yes, perspective matters. Yet we live in a culture that we don't often take time to listen to other people's perspectives. We have strong convictions and, and we believe certain things, and we, what we tend to do is we tend to run into our bunkers, and we begin to shout what we believe to the other side. If you weren't here last Sunday, we began a series called All In on Living in No Man's Land. And, and basically what I laid out for you is that often we get into our bunkers, our, our places that, that we feel comfortable in, people that believe the same way that we believe, and then this place in between is no man's land, and then there's other bunkers, people that disagree with us, or sometimes that we might even call them our enemies. And, and last week I told you, bunkers aren't a great place to live. They're actually miserable, and I, and I challenged you to venture out into no man's land, even though I told you it takes courage to do that. Because not only do you get shot from this side, but you also get friendly fire from the other side, that people may disagree with you and say, well, why are you actually talking with someone who disagrees with you? This series is based off of a book called Dancing in No Man's Land by Brian Jennings. He's a minister in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, our plan is for him to actually come in next Sunday and, and preach the last of this sermon series. But, but the principle of the book is that we live in such a hostile world that what if we actually, as Christians, moved into no man's land and had civil conversations? Well, kind of a novel concept, right? That we would actually have some civil conversations. But that's what he challenges us to do. He challenges us to be like Christ. Now, in this book, he said that there's three main things that lead us into our bunkers. Fear pride and hate, and, and I talked about those last week. But if I could add one more thing that might lead us into a bunker, I think it would be the word assumptions. We, we jump to conclusions and we think that we know what the other person believes. And, and we just automatically think, oh, you know what, I already know this. We actually see it played out in Joshua chapter 22. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Joshua chapter 22. We're going to see that there was nine and a half tribes that got into one bunker and two and a half tribes that got into another bunker. Let me go ahead and re read the first three verses. It says, Then Joshua called together the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and half-tribe of Manasseh. And, and he told them, You've done as Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded. You, you have obeyed every order I have given you. And during all this time, you have not deserted the other tribes. You, you've been careful to obey the commands of the Lord your God right up to the present day. So here's a little context. Back in Numbers chapter 32, these two and a half tribes, and they came to Moses and said, hey, you know what, this tribe on the east side of the Jordan River, it's really pretty. We like this. We would like to camp out here. This is what we would like to make as our home. And, and Moses said, hey, you know what, I'll let you do that, but this is what you have to do. 
You have to go and fight for the promised land. You have to... You have to go into the promised land. You have to fight with the other tribes. And then afterwards, you can go back here and, and live here. And so Joshua says, the time has come. They've, they fought the battles. And Joshua says, okay, guys, you can go back home. You can go live on this other side of the Jordan. And this is the thing I want you to remember. I want you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We come to verse 6. It says, so Joshua, what? Blessed them and sent them away, and they went home. I mean, everything is great. I mean, they're going home. Joshua blessed them. Joshua sends them this reminder. Everything is wonderful. But there's always a but in life, right? There's always a but in life. And so we're going to see in our text that there was a conversation, and you can see up there on the map, you'll see the two and a half tribes are on the east side of the Jordan, and you're going to see the other tribes, just so you kind of get that visually of what we're talking about. But we're going to see just a few verses later. Now, let's, let's look at our text. But while they were still in Canaan, when they came to a place called Gileth near the Jordan River, the men of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh stopped to build a large, imposing what? Altar. This is a key factor in the story, okay? The, the, rest, the rest of Israel heard that the people of Reuben Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh had built a what? Altar at Gareth at the edge of the land of Canaan on the west side of the Jordan River. So the whole community of Israel gathered at Shiloh and prepared to what? Go to war against them. Just a second. Joshua just blessed them. Things were going well. And now all of a sudden, they're ready to get into their bunkers. They're ready to go to war with these other two and a half tribes. What's going on here? Well, Deuteronomy 12 gives us a little bit of insight. It says, be careful not to sacrifice your burnt offerings where? Anywhere you please. Basically, you can't build an altar anywhere you want to. Offer them only at the place the Lord will choose in one of your tribes. There, observe everything I've commanded you. They were convicted. They had this conviction that, you know what? These other two and a half tribes had built this altar. They did whatever they wanted. They built it wherever they wanted. Surely, this has to do, they must be offering burnt offerings to pagan gods. They're, they're upset. And, and and this is what they're concerned about. They said, man, don't you remember the sin of Peor? The sin of Peor? Don't you remember what happened? And, and we read that and we're like, well, they might remember, but we don't remember. And so we're going to read and kind of tell you what's going on here. Numbers chapter 25, it says, while Israel was staying in Shittim, which I got to be very careful as I say that, the men began to indulge in sexual immorality with Moabite women who invited them to the sacrifice to their gods. The people ate the sacrificial meal and bowed down before the gods. So Israel yoked themselves to what? Baal of Peor. And the Lord's anger burned against them. The Lord said to Moses, take all the leaders of these people and what? Kill them and expose them. Man, it seems pretty drastic. 
in broad daylight before the Lord so that the Lord's fierce anger may turn away against Israel. So Moses said to Israel's judges, each of you must put to death those of your people who have yoked themselves to the bell of Peor. And we're going to see that over 24,000 Israelites died on this day. Now, these nine and a half tribes, they are concerned about sin being in the camp. They're concerned that these two and a half tribes have built this altar, that they're putting these burnt sacrifices on this, going and worshiping pagan gods. And they're like, hey, don't you remember? Don't you remember our history? This has happened. God got really mad. He wants us to worship him only. And remember how 24,000 of us died? Don't don't you remember? You, You can't be doing this. But before they went to war, they did this amazing thing in verse 13. This novel concept. First, however, they sent a delegation led by Phoenix, son of Elazor, the priest, to what? To talk. Oh. With the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. They moved into no man's land. They sat and they began to have a discussion. They they said, you know what? This is our perception. This looks like pagan worship to us. Why else would you build an altar? Why else would you do this? This is our assumption. This is serious sin. But then the other two and a half tribes respond. And, and, And they say this. The truth is we have built the altar because we fear that in the future your descendants will say to ours, What right do you have to worship the Lord, the God of Israel? The Lord has placed the Jordan River as a barrier between our people and you people of Reuben and Gad. You have no claim to be claim to the Lord. So your descendants may prevent our descendants from worshiping the Lord. So we decided to build the altar, not for burnt offerings or sacrifices, but as a what? As a memorial, it will remind our descendants and your descendants that we too have the right to worship the Lord at his sanctuary with our burnt offerings, sacrifices, peace offerings. Then your descendants will not be able to say to ours, you have no claim to the Lord. There was another side to the story, right? And then if you skip down to verse 34, it says, The people of Reuben and Gad named the altar witness, for they said, It is a witness between us and them that the Lord is our God too. How many times, how many times have we jumped to an assumption that led to an argument? That we thought that we knew something, and then we find out that that really wasn't true. And how many times have our assumptions led to arguments? I mean, war right here could have taken place if they would have just went off their assumption before moving into no man's land. So often, so often, we make assumptions. I love what, I'm just going to call them the fonts. That's what I grew up with. Assumptions are the termites of relationships. Assumptions are the termites of relationships. And if you've ever dealt with termites, they cause destruction. Once you discover them, 
man, you're calling pest control out and you're trying to figure out the damage and we know that they've eaten through homes and caused all kinds of issues. And assumptions do the same thing in our relationships. When we think that we know what someone else believes, often we get into trouble. I saw this play out recently in my life. A couple of weeks ago, my son posted a picture on social media, and, and the picture wasn't bad, but the location was questionable. He, he took the picture in the bathroom, and I know kids do that now, but maybe I'm just old school, but I'm like, hey, you realize when you take this picture, like people do other things in the bathroom besides take pictures, and, and you just need to be careful about that. And so me and me and Julie, we get together and we have this conversation with our son. And, and I mean, I'm just trying to have this teachable moment. And man, I, I'm saying these, all these glorious words of wisdom. And I mean, it's just flowing out, at least in my own head, that is. I, I don't. My son's listening intently. And, and then he responds. And, and we're going back and forth with this. And then my wife starts laughing. I didn't act very preachly at the moment. Um, I'm like, why is she laughing? She's laughing at me. I mean, what did I say? Am I doing a bad job with this teachable moment? And doesn't she know we're trying to get this across that, like, social media is a big thing with our kids, and, and we're trying to have this important lesson, and she's over there laughing. And so I make this assumption that she's laughing at me, that I'm not doing a good job. And you know what I did? I ran right over into my bunker, and I got frustrated, and I said, well, you just teach him the lesson then. Again, it wasn't one of my finer moments. God gives me these moments for you so you can relate to me, okay? And so she discusses, and, and after I took a deep breath and calmed down, and I came out of my bunker, and we met in no man's land, she said, you don't know the whole story. I said, well, what's the whole story? She's like, well, him and I were actually discussing this topic today. And he had showed me a video that was really funny. And, and him and his friends have been kind of like mocking people. They post pictures and then they talk about, oh, your hair looks so beautiful and your clothes and this. And, and all their kids in school, they, they make these like very shallow comments. And, and his friends are talking about, hey, those things don't really matter. It's the heart that matters. I'm preaching a sermon about running into bunkers and making assumptions. And I just made a huge assumption that led us to conflict. Has that ever happened to you? I, I just think that we make assumptions about people. And, and it leads us to conflict. Now, there's going to be times that we actually meet in no man's land, and, and we hear a different perspective, and, and, and we listen, and, 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 and all of those things, but we still disagree. Like, hey, you know what? I'm convicted about this, and they're convicted about this. And it doesn't mean that, hey, we change our convictions, but I want to put it this way. We can, be, we can disagree without being disagreeable. We can disagree without being disagreeable. What I mean by that is, you and I, we might talk about a subject, and we may not see it the same way. 
But we can be nice with each other. We can have compassion and gentleness and respect. But there's certain people that you disagree with, and they're not just, you're not just disagreeing with them, but they're just disagreeable people. Let me, let me put it in spiritual language for you. Don't be a jerk when you disagree with someone. <laughs> I'm serious. I, I was listening to a podcast this week, and, and this person often interviews people that he disagrees with. And there's a lot of people that they have some back and forth, but it's kind and respectful. Well, he got this person on here that just yelled at him and belittled him and was mean. And I was like, that's that principle. Like, there's people that sometimes you meet right here, and man, they're really still in the bunker. They say they're meeting right here, but they're not being kind. Brian Jennings uh, puts in his book back in 2012, and some of you remember this, Dan Cathy came out and said that he was against homosexuality, and it began a firestorm in our country. And that there was people that were protesting Chick-fil-A, and then you had people that were rallying around uh, Chick-fil-A. And, and there was just a lot of verbal grenades that were throwing back and forth, a lot of hate, and just a lot of just plain meanness. What, what, what you might not know, and Huffington Post wrote an article about this, is that Dan Cathy, CEO of Chick-fil-A, reached out to Shane Weidemeyer. And he was an advocate, he's a big advocate for the LGBTQ community and actually led many protests against Chick-fil-A. And, and, and Shane says, I got this phone call that Dan Cathy wanted to meet with me. And he said, oh boy, I thought he was about to sick his lawyers on me because I was creating a lot of chaos for his country, or for his company. And he said, but instead he said, we met. And Dan began to ask me a bunch of questions. And he began to get my perspective. And he said he actually treated me with respect and kindness. And he said, we began to have a dialogue. We met several times. And he said, sometimes I really pushed back on Dan and told him some of his practices for, with his company and some of the things that he supports really hurt the LGBTQ community. And, and, and Dan Admit it, he was like, yeah, I'm naive on some of these issues, but I also have some convictions. And, and, and Shane and Dan, they both had conviction, but they were able to disagree about things, but in a respectful and nice and calm manner. And in the Huffington Post, Shane actually calls Dan his friend. Now, when this article was released, there was some more of a firestorm that erupted. Because people both from both sides started calling Shane and, and Dan traitors and calling them all kinds of names that they would actually be friends with the other person on the other side of the issue. I began to think, I, I don't know where Shane is spiritually. I don't know where he was at at that time of the article. I don't know where he's at today. But I can't help but wonder if he had certain assumptions of Christians that many are, are judgmental and mean. And then he met Dan Cathy, who sat down with him and listened and loved 
and looked at some different perspectives. It had to soften his heart if he wasn't a Christian. So where do we go from here? Because great story in Joshua chapter 22. But how do we apply this in our life? Before you assume, what? Learn the facts. This is hard because I think a lot of times it's so easier, it's easier to assume than, than to learn the facts. Before you try to be understood, what? Try to understand. So often we meet in no man's land and man, we're ready to fire away and we want to say our point of view. But what if we sat and we listened and tried to understand? Before you hurt someone, what? Mmm. Sometimes we lash out in social media and, and in person and over text messages. But take the time to feel, which leads us to our next one. Before you speak, what? Think. Isn't that hard to do sometimes? Like sometimes we just, we just talk and talk and we don't realize the impact that our words make. We got to realize that when we wear Christ in our life, that our conversations with other people that we disagree with, that may not see something the same way, we, we need to realize that we make an impact on them in the words that we speak and how we handle conflict and how we handle people who may have a different perspective on life. 